Well, folks, so welcome back to part two of Killer Casting, and we are continuing our conversation with the terrific acting coach, Terry Knickerbocker. We're about to jump into the topic of transformation. I mean, we've really been on that throughout, um, and just going to tick off some uh, really incredible performances, the sorts of things like, as you'd expect, Midnight Cowboy, um, Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, but some that you might not think of as well. And we'll get into uh, some of the performances that have been quite uh, stunning over the time. People like uh, Michelle Williams and Benedict Cumberbatch in Power of the Dog recently. And we round off by just having a look at some of Terry's incredible uh, alumni, the likes of the great uh, Yul Vasquez, Chris Messina, Abby Cornish, a little guy called John Leguizamo, and... Oh, by the way, the previous night to the recording, he was on the phone doing a remote recording session or coaching session, I should say, with a bloke, um, Daniel Craig. I think he's going to be a big star, that kid. Anyway, here we go. Part two of Terry Knickerbocker. I'm envious of your generation. You guys don't care as much about the rules. They're just reaching for something to make it all seem meaningful. Every time I feel good, I think it'll last forever. But it doesn't. transformation terry yes i would love to you know when i was when i was an actor i trained in london you know that um process was very outward to inward you know it's very a lot of exterior process to it and you know our american tradition is exactly the opposite oversimplifying you know it's more inward to outward whatever your no you're right Whatever yeah. your process, it, it works when it works. And some people that we, you know, we, we can think of a lot of big actors who have transformed by way of exterior, you know, by prosthetics and, and all kinds of things. Um, and I'm just wondering who has impressed you the most with their transformations? I mean, some actors are, are known for it. You know, as you mentioned, Meryl and of course, Daniel Day-Lewis. And there are some people who are just, you expect that of them. Every time you see them in something, they're going to be just completely different. But then... I'm almost more impressed with these little pivots, these these more subtle pivots, or like in Zendaya's case, you know, just really finding a whole other side of her talent. I don't know. What do you have to think? What do you think about that? Well, I must say that um, for me, character acting is the highest form of acting, and telling the story is what it's about, and it's fun to transform, right? So, I mean, I may make some references that that people don't don't think about, but I urge you to think about Dustin Hoffman in Midnight Cowboy. Now, to me, that is an iconic part. He plays this down and out person named Ratso Rizzo, him and John Voight. I mean, it's a gorgeous movie, which was rated X at the time and not because 
there was any sex in it, but because it referred, there was some references to gay love. So it was kind of an early pre precursor to Brokeback Mountain, I suppose, on a certain level. But I mm. love how far he went with that. You know, it was gorgeous. And I think that the 70s have a lot to share with us about really good, it was an actor's era, whether it was a Gene Hackman or Dustin Hoffman or Al Pacino or Robert De Niro. I mean, look at De Niro in Taxi Driver, De Niro in Raging Bull. I mean, like those kinds of complete physical, vocal commitment and emotional commitment to the parts are, for me, very inspiring. But then when you said subtle, I was thinking, I don't know how subtle it is, but I think Benedict Cumberbatch in Power of the Dog mm-hmm. is crushing yeah. it. Yeah, very much. And it's, it's not it's not a flashy it's not like Joaquin Phoenix and the Joker which is i think also extraordinary i mean yes, just delicious absolutely. right absolutely. it's more subtle but it's lovely it's just it's chilling it's scary okay. how cold he is how dark he is but inside he's created talk about a british actor who's found the insides how broken mm-hmm. that character is that character mm. is mourning the loss yep. of a friend and is lonely mm-hmm. and also like went to college and studied stuff. He's not just a cowboy and completely believable as a person from that time and place, even though he's a Brit, sometimes it's flashy transformation. Sometimes it's more subtle, but I, I bought that and was moved by that work. Mm. Terry, you just mentioned um, the, the British, uh, you know, a British actor playing American. So you've raised British actors and, you just mentioned Dustin Hoffman uh, shortly ago. Uh, there was an amusing story that I read years ago before we even got it, must have been 20 years ago, and it was when Dustin Hoffman was playing in Marathon Man and playing opposite the great um, Laurence Olivier. Yeah. So I guess, I guess from my lack of understanding, but there you've got a method actor with a classically trained uh, British actor, and you, possibly, you probably know this, both probably know this famous yeah. uh, you know, sort of story where um, the, Olivier meets Hoffman on the set and says, how's your week been? And Hoffman says, well, it's terrible. He said, why? He goes, well, in my next scene, I'm supposed to have been up for three days. So I just stayed up for three days. And Olivier looks at him with a smile and says, my dear boy, have you ever tried acting? Does that sort of does that encompass the clash between the, the sort of the, the method, you know, with inverted commas and, and classical acting? Um, We're going to get into the, the met. Okay. Let me just pause here because oftentimes the word method acting is actually used to just refer to an actor who seems to be crazy or yeah. who seems to be uh, eccentric. So the method is a very, it, for me, it's a buzzword having taught at the actor studio that I get very picky about when people call somebody a method actor. But your point is taken that, you know, Dustin Hoffman's process was uh, definitely from the inside out as opposed to whatever Olivier's process was. Terry, please take it. Well, first of all, Dustin Hoffman did study at the Strasbourg Institute with with Lee Strasberg, and that's what I associate the method with as opposed to what you just said, which is sort of a pejorative use of method acting, meaning... Mm-hmm. You go too far. You shouldn't have people have to call you by your character's name. You stay in character all times on the set. And maybe you're self-destructive. Like there was a recent article in The New Yorker about Jeremy Strong, who gets very good results. 
I think Jeremy Strong is an incredibly intelligent actor whose work on Succession is captivating. And he's also got some reputations like, you know, he doesn't like to rehearse. There have been some people who say, I don't know, I hope he's taking care of himself. But in that article, it talks also about what a devoted father he is. And Michelle Williams, who I work with, um, he stayed at her house for a while, for a long time, and she loves him. So I, I don't have an issue. I think, you know, that story, first of all, I'm, I, I, Olivier, I've never been moved by Olivier's work. And I don't find myself needing to watch Olivier, even though he, God, he was brilliant with Shakespeare and all that stuff. I'm not that interested, personally. I'd rather watch Brando from that mm. time. I'd rather watch Orson Welles. I'd rather watch a lot of people, even other British actors like Ralph Richardson, I find more interesting from that time than Olivier. So I find that comment a bit uh, snobby, right? Judgmental and, and, and not very nice. And, and honestly, Dustin Hoffman in the 70s and 80s was brilliant. And not just uh, Midnight Cowboy, not just Marathon Man. You look at Straight Time where he was oh, yeah. dangerous, right? Yeah. You look at Kramer versus Kramer with Meryl Streep, which is heartbreaking. Like he was, whatever people say about how he treats women and some of the things that have emerged in the last couple of years, he was the man. And if that meant he stayed up all night and that worked for him, at the end of the day, it's what's on camera. Now, if you're a jerk on set, that's something you got to think about. You know, nobody cares what kind of acting training you have. I, I teach this Meisner work. Meisner and Strasberg didn't get along. They were both members of the group theater. Um, Strasberg work was from an early uh, version of Stanislavski's work. And then Stanislavski moved on to some things where he wasn't so interested in using like personal memories, which is what one, one of the aspects of the method. And he started to focus more on the imagination. And, and Stella Adler famously went over to Paris and met up with Stanislavski and, and said, we're doing your work. He said, oh, I've moved on. I'm doing this other stuff. And then she came back to New York and said, oh, he's interested in the imagination now. And Strasberg said, well, whatever. And Sanford Meisner said, well, that seems cool, <laughs> right? So, but nobody cares. Nobody says, hey, Dean, do you want to go see some Meisner acting tonight? No, I'd much prefer the method. <laughs> exactly. Nobody cares. That's right? exactly what I yeah. think, too. Yeah. It's like calling an, at, calling an athlete, he's an athletic athlete. It's like, no, it's, it's you go to see them play ball. You go to see, anyway. Um, right. But famously, Dustin Hoffman, was kind of a good sport about his reputation because in Tootsie, that scene with him and Sidney Pollack about him uh, being a tomato. I mean, I think that was, that was cribbed directly from his experience yeah. of not, you know, totally. taking things too far. But, um, but yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And actually Tara, I'm going to have Isaac Butler on um, the show soon, who has just written, you know, kind of a Yeah. yeah he wrote the book. Him. Yeah. Well, method. You wrote a book on method acting. Yeah. Yeah. I just right, ordered right. it. Yeah. Right. That's um, cool. And that's like a and whole honestly, you know, thing. Look, and at the end of the day, you know, I taught at NYU for 20 or 30 years, 30, in the undergrad drama department. And that department is huge. It's the size of a small college. And when you go there, they place you in a studio. It's not like going to Carnegie Mellon or Juilliard where there's one approach. So you could go to Stella Adler, 
You could go to Lee Strasberg. You could go to the Experimental Theater Wing, which is a more postmodern thing. You could go to the Meisner Studio. You could go to Atlantic, which is sort of a version of Meisner, but sort of taken by David Mamet and W.H. Macy in a different direction. Mm -hmm. And you're going to get exposed to a lot of different ways of working. And really, it's like what works for you. Right. What you know, so I went to I went to NYU. I was at a studio called Circle in the Square, which still exists, but it was connected to NYU at the time. And my teacher was connected to uh, Lee Strasberg. So like she took us to watch, talk about actor studio sessions, sessions that Lee was moderating, you know, and I studied at the Strasberg Institute one summer and and famously saw Elliot Gould and, and, and Dustin Hoffman like backstage watching their kids act because there was a teen program and they were like so proud. That work didn't work for me. Right. But that doesn't mean it's bad work. It just wasn't my thing. And so really you have to find the approach because all the approaches go to the same place, hopefully, which is good work. Right. And right. some people need to, you know, I worry about people who like gain 50 pounds and lose 50 pounds, you know. Yeah, but then, me too. Then, me too. You know, but, but then you see like um, Mark Ruffalo in that series on HBO where he played the two brothers and they like shot one brother and then he gained 50 pounds and they shot the other brother. He's brilliant in that. Yeah. Or Christian Bale in the fighter. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there's, yeah. there's just a lot. Yeah. It's um, tricky. You know, yeah, self-care, self-care is important and transformation is important. A couple of transformations that I did want to shout out. I don't know if you're watching the Gilded Age, Terry. Um, I'm not. I'm, I got to catch up. You got to catch up on that because the Gilded Age, as it sounds, is 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 just a glorious kind of Downton Abbey for the Yanks, you know. And it's got you know the wonderful Christine Baranski, who is not really transformed in this role. I mean, she is the grand dame uh, as she always is, but. Cynthia Nixon is playing her sister and Cynthia, who I watched on stage through her entire growing up, but most people only know her as kind of that icy Miranda, you know, sharp edged Miranda from Sex and the City. But Cynthia is doing this fantastic turn as this soft and Mm. little shy sister of Christine Baranski. And I just, I love it. I mean, she's just pivoted in the most wonderful way. Um, and Leonardo DiCaprio in Don't Look Up. I mean, I think this is probably my favorite performance of his. And again, yep. he's just pivoted into this kind of befuddled, but completely believable, bookish, you know, absent-minded professor. And I'm just loving it. Right. But he has a great journey in that film because he gets turned on by fame mm-hmm. and screws mm-hmm. up his... Who I love who's in that movie is Melanie Linsky. I think she's oh, she's my she's, queen. She's oh. a hardcore genius. And yes. to watch a DiCaprio go from like, geez, I don't know what's going on, guys, to it's kind of cool to be the king and be the one who's on the talk show and with Tyler yeah. Perry and, and Kate Blanchett. <laughs> I mean, that's just brilliant stuff. I love him yeah. in that. I, yeah. I don't know if it's my favorite thing he's done, but it's damn good. And of course, you just mentioned Kate Blanchett. I'm not also a chameleon. She seems to be different in everything she does. Um, yep. Any other favorite? Um, actually, I was just thinking about my favorite actors who play addicts since we started off with Euphoria and Zendaya playing an addict. And I was thinking, of course, of Nicolas Cage in Leaving Las Vegas, Ewan McGregor in Train Spotting. Any other great transformations that are. Well, I think Nick Cage. 
if he if he keeps it, I, I don't know if you've seen Pig, but I think he's amazing in that. I've and heard really good things about it. I haven't seen a, it. You know, because yeah, Nick I'm, Cage I'm really be like, to see that. He can be too much, obviously, and he even talks about it being like kabuki. He uses the word kabuki, which is kind of very stylized Japanese acting, mm-hmm. and he can be nuts. But he's he's he loves the art form. That would be Vampire's Kiss you're talking about there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he's, he's so he's so subtle in this movie. Pig. He plays this down and out former gourmet chef who is now got a pig that's a truffle hunter, and someone steals his pig, and it's his journey to get the pig back. And it's it's made with so much love. Mm. And so much care and so much subtle detail. And it's not a flashy performance, but he's brilliant in every frame. So I think he's someone that has done some gorgeous work. Um, Jared Leto really goes for it. You know, I think Dallas Buyers Club is superb. I think Frances McDormand is gorgeous in, in almost everything she does. And she just, I mean, she just did Lady Macbeth. Her work in Three Billboards is amazing. I mean, she's just an actor's actor and she really thinks about what she's doing and she's fearless. And what makes, I think, a lot of these actors so captivating, since you're talking about addicts, is a willingness to be ugly, is a willingness to let us see their darkness inside them unapologetically and not needing the audience to like them. Letting us see the best. Yeah, 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 very much. Terry, you mentioned um, Joker, and I think it's interesting that um, both the the both most recent film performances of Joker widely separated, of course, with um, with, with Heath back in the day, um, yeah. and then Wakan now. Is there something special that you guys see about that character as experts that I don't see that draw, it seems to draw such transformative performances? I mean, Heath got was lauded for his performance, and then and then here we have another one that's just out of the park. Is there something about that role? What do you think, Lisa? It's a really good question. Yeah, there is some kind of plasticity to that role and as iconic as it is. I don't know. I mean, because you could say the same thing about the roles of Batman in some ways. I mean, sometimes that role brings out some yeah. really amazing turns. It's but true. you're right. I mean, there there must be something very freeing about Joker that allows an actor to just tap into that kind of crazy their their own particular insanity that must be so fun and overwhelming mm. but of course Heath I mean he put on I mean talk about outside in I mean his voice I mean when I hear his voice as a joker that Tom yeah. Waits kind of the way he holds his mouth and the way that he uses his body I mean it's oh, yeah. so delicious he's, Terry he, I mean, he's his body and that certainly, I mean, you know, the, the classic scenes, uh, you know, him dancing down and in costume, but the the scenes that I remember, are, you know, when he's in the change room and he takes his shirt off and he's shot from behind and he's just skeletal and he looks like an insect and you just, he's not even, he doesn't even look human. It's, it's, it's quite very excellent performance. I mean, a maybe. part like that is a gift to an actor because it's, you have to rise to something so colorful. And yet if it's all just flash, what I think both Joaquin and Heath found in that is the broken-hearted loneliness of that character, and which made them so transgressive and need to hurt people and feel fearless about hurting mm-hmm. people and disconnect yeah. because no one cares about them. So why the hell should I care about you? Mm-hmm. And it's colorful. I mean, it's making me think also about Anthony Hopkins and Silence of the Lambs. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think a gift to an actor is a bad guy. Mm-hmm. I think 
you know, that's the most fun to play the villain. Yeah, the rich and, birds are much more fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not so interesting. I mean, look, you can be Henry V and have fun being a hero and, and all that, but I, I find it much more interesting to get into the juiciness of that. And I think those two actors went all the way. And, and they also had really great directors helping them. You know, it's really, it's really there. Exactly, exactly. Well, my loves, this has been oh. so wonderful to talk to somebody who like speaks my language. It's just like fantastic. Yes, Dean, what? Just, just before you wrap up, boss lady. Um, Is this you... the curve ball? Uh, no, 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 not at all. There was just a couple of things that I really wanted to get in real quick. So yeah. do, you, do you, Terry, do you have another 10 minutes? Is that okay? Oh, yeah, thank you. That's nice. Yeah. No, let me just take myself off mute. I've been pressing the, the tab um, key to unmute, like push to talk. Uh, this is a question for both of you, and it's a story that I heard about. And I think it was you, Terry, that, that I was reading about that said that the thing, it was something that drove actors that there was a want or a desire that the actor has or the character has in a part. Was was that you, Terry, and, and Meisner? I think that was, was that Stanislavski just... or Shakespeare uh, or somebody uh, like uh, that. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you know, you know so, it was, what... so it was one of your peers. As, uh, we, we put that in perspective. <laughs> well, it's weird, you know, like, I mean, what's cool about acting or interesting about acting and also horrifying about acting at the same time, because I'm sure you know, Lisa, that there are people who pay more attention to getting jobs than, than they do to getting good. And there are people who are being cast nowadays based on how many Instagram followers they have, which is just horrifying. But that's, that's Not in my shows. Not in your shows, <laughs> darling. But, um, you know, like yeah. most actors, if you look at like high school plays, like you said, your kids are teenagers. Like if you're interested in the arts and you're a kid, well, if you want to be in the orchestra, you're going to have to take trombone lessons. And if you want to be in the ballet you know, society, you're going to have to take ballet classes, but no one takes acting classes unless you have like stage moms and dads who send you to like stage door manor or something like that. Like I never took acting classes to be in high school plays and junior high school plays. I just like loved acting, loved theater. Luckily my parents took me to those things and I had fun and I got cast in a lot of stuff, but I didn't know what the hell I was doing, partly because we're being human. So we have an innate gift for mimicry and storytelling, right? But there's actually some skills that you need to learn to be a good actor. And mm -hmm. then you start to get this language. So I remember, you know, I finally said, shit, I better like learn how to do this because I think maybe I'm not always so good or don't know what I'm doing. I'm lost sometimes and I just fake it and say lines because the playwright told me to. And so I auditioned to get into NYU and I got in luckily and I'm in my freshman acting class and this actor who was a teacher named Tom Brennan, who had been around forever, was saying like, well, guys, you know, you need an objective. That's what you need. You know, and every actor is there like, what's my objective in the scene? You know, like uh, to seduce her or to charm her or to get the job or whatever. And I thought, oh, so that's what I'm supposed to do. But the, the mistake that so many, you know, I've got a I've got a book here called A Book of Actions, which is like a Bible for actors. And I love, hate this book because so much of the stuff <laughs> in it is actually not doable. And so I, we confuse objectives with actions. This is getting really nitty gritty and grainy. But you cannot play, for instance, if the goal is to, if the objective is to convince, let's say, 
That's something I want. I'm, a, I'm an attorney and I want to convince the jury to free my client who's up for murder. Well, that's every lawyer, every trial lawyer wants to convince, but you cannot act to convince. So you can give very detailed evidence. You can poke holes in the other witnesses by in cross-examination. You can paint a very favorable picture of your client as a good citizen and someone who pays their taxes and who loves animals and all kinds of stuff like that. You can play on the, the, the jury's heartstrings by asking them to put themselves in the shoe of the client who, right? Those things you can do, but you cannot act to convince. Right. So you are always going for something in a scene. If you don't know what you're going for, why the hell are you, why, why are we watching you? I, I want you to understand something about acting now. That's my objective. And I'm doing that by explaining, a, you know, a certain concept in the thing. And, and then if I get what I want, then I'll know that it worked. Right. So I think that idea of following some sort of objective is always baked into acting. And then you get into stuff like the super objective, like what is Donald right. Trump's super objective versus <laughs> what's his objective, like at one of his rallies. Mm. Well, and what I've gotten to at this point in my process, Terry, because I completely agree with you. And oftentimes I'll say to the actor, why did you just open your mouth to start talking, especially at the beginnings of scenes? Yes, yes, yes. yes. Oh, sorry, Eleanor. Eleanor. Oh, sorry, my dog is crazy. Is Look at you. Is that a yellow laugh? Um, she's a, she's a great Pyrenee actually, um, because so many actors start, starts, starts of scenes are very, very important, especially yeah. in TV shows. And they don't know what just happened, you know, why they're starting the scene. But, but Terry yeah. usually, but it used to be, what does my character want in the scene? But now would I ask actors to think yeah. about why did the writer write this scene? Uh, because in TV, if you understand that you're going to really serve the script so much better if you understand what the writer wants to do to the audience in this scene. And it's just a, right. it's just something new that I've kind of started right. teaching actors and it takes That's the great. focus off of them, you know, of, off of their experience yep. in a way. But um, yeah. anyway, I could talk all day. Yeah. About- That's really great. There are two <laughs> things I want to say. One thing I learned, um, Sam and I have a friend named Michael Godare, who is an amazing actor who doesn't work nearly enough. And I don't know why, because he's brilliant, but he's really good. And he and another former student of mine, Ivan Martin, wrote a film and cast all their buddies. So Natasha Leone, Sam Rockwell, and they gave me a part, right? Blink and you'll miss me. But, uh, <laughs> but what I learned watching Mike... Uh, and uh, it was directed by Adam Rapp, who's mostly a, a playwright, oh, yeah. right? But he directed this film. And so it's a beautiful little, uh, and Marissa Tomei's in it. Um, it's, it's a great cast, a loving indie film. But what was cool on that set was actors always thought, and I always thought that when the, act, when the director says action, you start working, like you start talking. But what you're making me think about, Lisa, is what I saw Mike do is Adam Rapp would say, you know, speed, camera, sound, action. And Mike would like wait 30 seconds before he started the scene because it's videotaped, so we're not wasting film. And he's just like finding his place and like they'll just cut that out. And it was like, oh man, he's going when he's ready. Just because the director's ready doesn't mean you have to be like a trained monkey and jump. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's cool. And then 
what you just said about the writer is making me think about, you know, as you know, Lisa, there's a, a point in an actor's career, if they're lucky, where they start to get offers, where they don't just get like, I don't know how much auditioning Zen, Zenday is doing or will do, but mm-hmm. probably at this point, someone like Jennifer Aniston, Billy Crudup, San Rockwell, whoever, are getting offers and mostly they're saying no, you know. And so let's say you take a project. So I can't tell you how many film and television projects I work on now with big people where a lot of our work is rewriting. And um, in the case of one particular project right now that I'm working on, I don't want to name the names because it's a fresh thing, but it's like important people and an important director and, and stuff like that. I read the script and I just said this actor saying like, well, do you think I should do it? You know, and then I said, yeah, I think so. But I think it's missing a scene because they're not number one on the call sheet. They're number three. And Mm -hmm. often a writer will write really well for number one and number two, meaning the stars Mm -hmm. and sort of use the other people as sort of plot points. The journey is not complete for this person's character. And so I said, I think you need a scene with this other person where we see what happened right? Because it's not there. And your character just kind of dribbles away at the end of the movie. And we can't say it's a complete arc. And this person had a meeting with the director and just texted me yesterday saying she loves that idea. She's going to write the scene, right? Actors who are more early in their career or their day players or they're doing those two scenes in Law and Order, they're not going to come in and say, listen, I need you to rewrite my stuff. You need <laughs> right. to make that work. But it, it does tell that you're a collaborator and and that you thinking about what would make it better without being a problem is ultimately in the interest of the storytelling, which may mean that you make your own work. Yep. And, you know, and, and that's definitely a way to go. Terry, you mentioned uh, earlier that you felt that character acting was, you know, I, I, I don't know if you said the highest form of acting, but yes. you thought it was. Yeah. Okay. And so when you said that, uh, I just had to laugh inside. I was on mute. I may have even laughed out loud because when I look at the alumni from your school and, and I look at some of some of uh, those performances, it is the those actors who have the smallest roles but have those massive impacts in small roles and you have so many of them, right? So John Leguizamo is, is one of your alumni, right? And we all, he's a huge star now. But I remember him from Carlito's Way. He played mm-hmm. Benny Blanco. He was on screen for I don't know how long, but every time, every frame he was on the screen, you just were riveted by him, right? And he had a bigger role in Romeo and Juliet. Um, but it's like Stanislavski said, you know, there's no small, what is it? There are no such thing as small roles on the small actors. These guys, Correct. Yeah. They, they just, he, he was he the chop shop owner in John Wick. I mean, that's not high cinema, but he's yeah. a tiny role and it's just, it's part of what you remember about the movie. And you can say the same thing for um, guys like Chris Messina in Newsroom. I love Chris. Oh, he's just, oh, he's yes. just amazing. He's a wonderful um, stage actor too. Which he is, is a wonderful, terrifying. that's where I saw him first. Yeah, right. me too, me too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and of course, Sam is, is a huge um, star now, but you mentioned Moon. And when I saw Moon, I just was stunned. I'm like, who is this guy? Where did he come from? And then Seven Psychopaths, you know, uh, again, a, a fantastic film but a relatively, you know, not a starring role, but that, but maybe the one that most of all was, is um, Yul Vasquez. He's just incredible. And when I looked at him, I went on, on, on your alumni page, I'm like, 
oh my God, I know this guy so well. What do I know him from? And as I went back down in INDB, I'm like, Looming Tower, yes. Narcos, yes. Oh my God, he was in Gringo, which of course, Lisa was directed by Nash Edgerton, who Terry, we interviewed at length um, on here. Um, so she's an Aussie. Yeah, no, well, he did. He, he directed Mr. In Between, the best Australian crime drama of all time. I but, love Mr. In Between. Oh, oh we, met, we interviewed all of those guys. Scott yeah. Ryan came on, and yeah. uh, I'm so pissed off that there's not another season. I don't oh, know, right? But anyway, we but, did Damon Harriman. We didn't do but all those actors. Anyway, yeah, we did. But but the but the when, I kept going down the IMDb, going, "That's not it. That's not it. That's not it." And it was when I got to Magic City. I'm like. That's what I remember him in. He was just electric in that, which was a fantastic series. I, again, it, I think it was Stars, and they canned it after two series. I was heartbroken because it was just so stylish. But anyway, just a couple of examples of the uh, of alumni from your school, and they just embody exactly what you said that they they don't need massive starring roles. They're just you know they're just incredible in what they're doing. Um, well, so yeah, so to, credit credit to you for that. Well, but they have a they have a value. You know, Edward Albee, who was a great playwright, wrote Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf and The Goat and Three Tall Women and Zoo Story, um, was one of the best playwrights of, of the 20th century, but also a little bit cranky and um, and had casting approval for his projects. And just because you wanted to get the rights for his plays, some playwrights, you want the rights? Sure, pay me. He was there like, wait, who's doing it? What are they doing? And an actor, um, read a scene for him and you know he could be very withering in his criticism he wasn't a charmer and and he said well congratulations you've just successfully read all the words i wrote what is your contribution <laughs> right and it really those actors you're talking about really have a value that that is my value which is what's your idea right like you take phil mm -hmm. hoffman who we lost way too early and and he was talk about transformation he was just a brilliant actor and and all in on the art and he towards the end of his life did death of a salesman on broadway he wanted to do it play willie loman now that is a role that has been played by dustin hoffman been played the original by lee j cobb right like really really titans of actors have played that so why the hell he didn't do it for the money. Broadway isn't paying him anything what he'd make on a movie. He did it because as an artist, he had something he wanted to say about that part. And that's his idea. Um, and I think those people you're talking about are really saying like, well, what's my contribution? Like, I know what the writer did. What am I going to add to it? What's my special sauce for this part? Why, why the hell would Joaquin Phoenix play the Joker after Heath Ledger basically broke the mold? And the only reason to do that is to say, I'm going to do it. Like Sam Rockwell is getting ready to do American Buffalo. Well, Robert Duvall did that famously. Dustin Hoffman did that. W.H. Macy did that. Oh right. God. So many people have That's played so that part. Yeah. And he's doing it on Broadway, which means every night he's just basically saying, come and watch me fall on my face. Mm. You know, it'd be much safer him just to do another movie. But he needs to do it because for him, it's Mount Everest. Yeah. I've been recently Every actor working has with, that white whale that they yeah 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 but that's it you know I mean I'm working with Daniel Craig right now on Macbeth now guess what Denzel Washington just did it with Francis McDormand he knew that was happening and I said to him I said why are you doing the part 
And and I don't think he'd mind my sharing this because I think he's a really great artist and really special. Talk about transformation, you know, um, in that that southern detective that he played. Um, knives, out. knives Out. Knives Out. When we just worked on Knives Out too, which is brilliant. You know, talk about transformation from James Bond. But he said, well, I did it in drama school in London. Not very well. <laughs> so I want to come back to it. And he's doing it with Ruth Nega, who's a brilliant actress as Lady Macbeth. And it's going to be a very different Macbeth than what we just saw Denzel and Francis do. Both are valid. He's not just saying Shakespeare's words. He's really looking at it and going, well, what kind of Macbeth am I? Obviously, that plays about tragic ambition, but it's also about a relationship and about going too far and magic. You know, he's really into the magic of that because in Elizabethan England, magic was very important. So he's kind of meshing his understanding of history with things that get his juices flowing. And I think um, you can score in the smallest part if you bring some magic to it. Well, Terry, your magic. I can see why all of these people want to train with such a thoughtful theater maker and art maker. I'm just so thrilled that you found the time. Man, it took us a while, great. but we got here. We got, we got you here. here. Well, um, God bless you. I mean, I love what I do and, and it's fun. We have a lot of fun. We're playing, yeah. you know, so yeah, that's fun to tell great stories and to really touch an audience. I mean, audiences are really touched by going where we started with, you know, Zendaya and, Euphoria. That's a beautiful, beautiful series about sex, love, brokenheartedness, drug addiction, violence, and and it's authentic and real. And, and that's why it's so compelling. And to be able to do that and do that well and touch an audience and inspire them and not just, you know, and obviously the trans community is really excited to be represented there. And oh yeah, and the, and the it, yeah, my community, my community yeah, is yeah, is, yeah, it's a gift. It's a gift to do what we do and to touch audiences. Cause I think art's important. I think art's not just frivolous mm-hmm. and, and um, it's nice to do things that we love and to talk to people who love it as much as you guys do. It's, it's been fun. Well, thank you very much. And Dean, thank you for being here with me, being my wingman as always, always there with the good research. Always, thank God somebody's doing it because I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> well, as I said, it's all I got. For now, this is Killer Casting signing off.